This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 83. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton, and on this episode of the podcast, we are going to be talking about We Never Learn by Taishi Sutsui, uh, which, in case you didn't know, also runs in Weekly Show to Jump, and uh, is one of the many series that you can read in English uh, for free through either the Show to Jump app from Viz Media or on Manga Plus uh, from Shueisha. And uh, I think for the most part, that's pretty much about it for this episode. Uh, We are joined by two special guests, the first of which being Buggy from The Ladybug Productions, an anime blog that is also known as the home of such podcasts as The Third Seat by the Window and Spiral Radio, both of which I think we have mentioned on the show before as well as Hoven from the uh, now-defunct Stammerstream podcast, uh, hosted by our friend uh, Wensley Dale Cheddar. So yeah, basically, they join us to just kind of uh, talk about We Never Learn in general and how we feel about the series and whatnot, especially since it's been about two years now since uh, since it debuted in Weekly Show to Jump back in uh, 2017, along with a lot of other series at the time, uh, some of which have gone on to be moderately successful, uh, while others, um, aren't really around anymore. And, uh, if you've been listening to the podcast or you've been following Weekly Show to Jump for a while, then you know which one of those those are. Um, so, yeah, uh, I don't think I have anything else to talk about at the top of the podcast. I'll probably have one or two things to let you guys know about at the end of the show. Uh, but for now, we might as well just get right into the podcast, especially since I'm gonna be late. I gotta... Stuck. I'm stuck. Hey, got Okay, okay. Okay, and okay, and I got my stuff. And I got it. Okay, okay. 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 Super punctual to start this podcast on time. We aren't late. No siree. Wait a minute. That clock says four instead of a zero. You mean we're not on the hour? You're not on the dot? We're late. Late to this podcast as we have been late to so many occasions. Won't we ever learn? No, because we never learn like the characters from the eponymous series. We never learn. By Taishi Susui that we are discussing today on Manga Mavericks in celebration of it passing 100 chapters, two years of civilization, and an anime premiering this spring. In fact, it's probably already out right now if you haven't watched it yet. You better probably check that out. But first, listen to us talk about the manga because we've got a couple great guests on with us to hold a study session to test our we never learn knowledge and learn everything there is to know about it. We've got Dr. Hoven. Hello. And we've got Buggy. 
Hey guys, glad to be finally making my first appearance on the show. We're really excited to have you guys on. It's been a long time coming for you to be on Manga Rex, and I'm glad you could be on here to discuss this series with us. I think this is a podcast that's been in the docket since we first discussed We Never Learn all the way back two years ago, and we were like, will this series last, and will Colton read more of it? But finally... The time has come for us to do a full-on discussion and retrospective of We Never Learn. We Never Learn is about a self-professed super student called Nariyuki Uega who is studying to get a special VIP recommendation to get into the school of his dreams so he can get a good job and support his family financially because they are very destitute since their father passed away. But a stipulation for him receiving the scholarship is that he must tutor two of the smartest prodigies in class, and later it becomes three, known as Rizu Agata and Fumino Furuhashi, and Rizu is known as the Tumbelina mathematical wizard or something and she is like really great at mathematics and fumino is the sleeping beauty of the literary forest she's really great at language arts and japanese and all that stuff classical literature and so he has to tutor them in the subjects that they aren't good at to help them get into the schools of their choice, which are in the subjects that they aren't good at. Rizu wants to go into a language arts college, and Fumino wants to go into a science college, because both of their dreams uh, involve learning those other skills that they aren't good at. And unlike their previous tutors, Wega having you know a very strong a father figure who had taught him like it's it's good to help people and you know it's important to appreciate hard work of others and stuff like he encourages their dreams and does not just tell them to give up and so that becomes the basis for the rom-com shenanigans later on in chapter four they add in aruka who is a childhood friend of wega's and is a great athlete but is a super dunce when it comes to studies and she becomes part of the group too and then eventually uh, their teacher, Kirisu, kind of gets involved, and then a senpai at Wega's cram school gets involved, and it becomes, like, this five-person harem, and it's, like, a six-way left. I guess if you add in Sekijo, who uh, is very into Rizu, yeah, that's it's kind of seven-way love triangle, but, you know. I don't know. As I was rereading it, I kind of thought of like lots of basically all the girls have a little bi moment at some point. They uh, do. I could definitely see someone headcanoning that. <laughs> I think that it is more explicit when it comes to. I mean, with Seki Joe, it is like kind of very obvious after a certain point that she is in love with Ogata. And then with Aruka, as I've you know, Buggy has made a tread on Twitter about this, but, you know, her bisexuality, her interest in other girls is very emphasized to an extent greater than that of the other uh, girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting thread. Um, speaking of 
um, Buggy, if you want to maybe talk about uh, what your first impressions of the series were. Uh, yeah, actually, Colton, uh, I first came across the series when going through just some sort of back catalog stuff that you uh, you lent me so I could get caught up with some currently running Viz series when I got an account myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because uh, it's important. To, uh, I guess it's important to mention that, like, you know, you you had started reading the series, you know, before the the new and improved Shonen Jump app launched, you know, but before we could just read backlogs of different series without having to pay a bunch of money or trying to get as many like uh back issues of weekly show to jump as you could yeah and so i i checked out a few of the um the jump starts as they turned up and we never learn the first chapter in particular really jumped out at me just because i thought that uh yuigo was a really compelling protagonist like it starts off and you know, your first impression of him is, well, who is this pompous ass? You know, he seems like he's just super concerned about being the best and the smartest and kind of looking down on everyone else. And then you get a little more and you realize, no, it's it's because his family is poor. He needs that VIP recommendation in order to get into things. And then at the end of the uh, the chapter, you see just how dedicated he was to putting together study notes for uh for Rizu and uh Furuhashi and he, he's just a protagonist that it's incredibly easy to get behind just right from the get go after having like a an incredibly quick turnaround on him and then of course you know the the, the girls are cute uh it's just it's got some good gags it's got just a lot of fun wacky hijinks and that's Sometimes you really just want that out of a series, you know? Most definitely. It's so interesting that you point out that your first impression of Wega is that he's kind of a conceited jerk because there's definitely a shift in Uega's characterization after a certain point in the series. He starts off being a lot more temperamental. He starts having a lot more resentment towards... Uh, his situation and a little more annoyance at the girls for not re- really getting the their studies well especially with Aruka he has a lot more annoyance towards in the early chapters and then as the series goes on he really softens up to become like just this pure ungodly kind person that is it's like a huge shift that he becomes just so much nicer and sweeter and like this innocent pure kid who is like just trying so hard and savoring any meal he can get because his family is just so poor and he he can't always eat well like it's just an interesting shift to watch his character kind of change in that way and that's true for a lot of the characters early on and how they progress and become later we'll get into that with some of them later but like Seki Joe in particular is what I'm going to bring up later as someone who has kind of a really radical transformation from her first appearance to her most recent ones I think that's Asumi for me I get that from Asumi a lot um I got into this when it came out with the jump start uh, in the Weekly Shonen Jump issues, which are now uh, defunct as they've they've changed the format, and um, yes, uh, I always found the art style uh, uh, quite cute and appealing, but I was very torn between how it did like the the rom- the cute romantic aspect of of the harem, and then 
how it leaned into the more fanservice-y, fetish-y side of it. And I remember feeling very torn on that early on. And I also found it very interesting how there wasn't really an obvious main girl right from the get-go, because the biggest point of comparison I had was I did watch the early episodes of Nisekoi, and I feel like that series very clearly uh, telegraphs who the main love interest is. Yeah. Um, whereas this one, they introduce two at once who are kind of given equal importance, and then a third one comes in in chapter three. Um, so immediately it kind of throws it up in the air. So I guess that was inter- that, kept, that kept it interesting to me initially. Mm-hmm. It is a very unique thing about the series is that Fumino and Rizu get double billing. Like they are both whenever the series is represented on Shonen Jump ensemble covers or anything, they are always represented together. It's never just one of the female characters over the other. And uh, is is Erika uh, Erika receiving equal billing with the two of them at this point? It seems like she almost is at this point in the the series. Well, in the series itself, uh, that might be arguable. I think that though, in on Shonen Jump covers and in advertising for the series, I feel that Fumino and Rizu are always together. They're never separate, and they're always chosen as the representatives of the series. So I think because they were the first two uh, love interests introduced, they are given a much bigger emphasis. Mm-hmm. Okay, I haven't seen too many of the covers so far, unfortunately. But now Colton and I should share our first impressions. Would you like to uh, go first, Colton? Actually, I-, I want I want you to go first. Sure. So I was also wary smitten when we never learned from the first chapter, because the core of the series is something that I can deeply relate to, because I was raised in an environment where I was supposed to be incredibly studious. I was supposed to excel and be the at the top and the very best. Like that is what my family pushed me towards in terms of academic success. And that was an incredibly like important thing in my household and something that kind of defined my life in my school years and I've had a lot I had a lot of brushes with not living up to expectations. A lot of times where I was not excelling, but I couldn't really get help because the people who, you know, I sought to get help from were became frustrated at me for not just understanding, and that caused horrible psychological damage. But uh, I also wanted to follow a dream that I was not necessarily the most skilled at, at least compared to what I was doing in academics. My artistic ambitions was not something like my family had any background experience at. It's not like they weren't encouragingly ultimately, but like there's always been a sense that that's not really what they wanted me to go into. Like when I was young, the expectation that I was that I would follow a career path similar to the other members of my family or, and achieve like some high profile status kind of job that would be like extremely well morning and is in the general vicinity of academia and, and and related to that kind of stuff. So I deeply relate to Fumino and Rizu 
and pursuing ambitions that they aren't strong at, like that their dreams lie in something that they're not good at and they're working to pursue those dreams anyway. And they're having to deal with so much hardship and so much derision because they are going off the path expected from them. And there's like a great moment in that first chapter where like Uega is, you know, telling... Fumino and Rizu that, you know, we're seniors, we only have one semester left, you have these great talents, just make the most use of them, and Rizu gets incredibly mad and says, is talent all that matters in this world, and I'm sick of people deciding my life for you based on that, and I'm deeply related to both Rizu and Fumino's desire to make their own paths in life, and like, their frustration that the thing that they want to do and they really have a passion for is not something they're good at, but they still want to pursue that anyway, and they're not going to give up on their dream. And of course, the conclusion of the first chapter where Yuega is able to tell them, you know, I relate to you because I am also not naturally skilled at studying. I had to work hard to get where I am academically, so I understand like how hard it is to struggle and fail, but that it, you can succeed uh, if you really have a passion for it and you keep going at it, and that's valuable and worth doing. And I thought that was incredibly powerful, and that really moved me, especially since at the time when we, this chapter came out, I was also kind of feeling a similar situ situation of hopelessness uh, in college. And so this was very moving and emotional to me at that time, too. So as the series has gone on, like anytime it focuses on this emotional core that the characters are struggling, you know, to achieve their dreams. There's so many obstacles and hardships in their path that you know, are discouraging, but they need to persevere anyway, no matter what outside social pressure is telling them to do in order to conform with, you know, outside expectations. Like, I deeply relate to that. And uh, I think that the humor and comedy is just incredibly funny, too. Taishi Suisui was an assistant of Naoshikomi, and just like... Uh, now Shikomi, like he's incredibly great at facial expressions and character designs and the visual gags in the series are amazing. They never fail to make me laugh. So I think he's an incredibly skilled artist and I, it's no surprise that the series it managed to catch on on the strength, I think, of both the emotional core, which I think is really, really relatable and important for kids, especially kids in high school and in a, a school system like Japan and a culture and society where you are so pressured to conform even more so than uh, in the U.S. So I think that is a really valuable thing about We Never Learn too. But yes, I really love it. I've enjoyed reading it every week for the past two years. There are things I don't care much for in it that we'll talk about uh as we go forward but yeah I, the series like as it is now i find myself reading it first every week just because like where it is now in the story and just 
because of the kind of story it is, it is always like kind of a enjoyable, cathartic read every week. Like even in some of the chapters that I don't care for, that focus on things I don't care for, like I still find myself like wanting to read We Never Learn First because I really am invested in the characters and seeing their dreams succeed. And yeah, I really love We Never Learn. Glad we're talking about it now. Colton, what are your thoughts on it? All right, so I I have a confession to make. I'm 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 sorry, teacher. I uh, I I didn't I didn't finish my homework, and ah, uh, Colton, <laughs> Colton, oh, no. I am very disappointed in you. No excuses. I also did a very last minute reread, Colton. Do you know when I started my reread, Colton? I don't. I almost don't want to know. Ten fifteen p. M last night. And do you know how far I got into the series, Colton? How far did you get? I read the entire thing, all 104 chapters in one sitting. And when I say one sitting, I mean literally one sitting. I sat <laughs> down, read from chapter one to chapter 104 in one sitting. I did it in five hours. I finished at 3.15 p.m., almost on the dot. In five hours, I read the entirety of We Never Learn. Last night... Oh no, Sid, that doesn't sound healthy. That's so funny to me, because catching up with it in bulk has been such a different experience to me to reading it weekly. Yeah, I mean, it really moves fast. I didn't finish it. I got about 64 chapters in, but uh, I still I still have a lot of thoughts about the series that you know, I'll be sharing throughout the show here, but I'm, I'm really struggling to, like... Because I, I honestly... I feel like my my opinion of the series has changed at least a little from like, you know, from when the first chapter came out two years ago, because I remember when the first chapter came out, you know, at the time, I thought it was kind of the least interesting out of the, what was it, six new series that came out in the span of like two months. I, I remember on the podcast, I'm pretty sure I mentioned how at the time I was more interested in U19 in particular, no. just 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 be <laughs> and, and you know, I I know that series didn't get really didn't get any better after its first chapter at all. Um, from what I hear, was that the one with like the threads? Yeah, or it was the one with the threads, and I uh, hated that one. <laughs> was this one in Jumpstart, I don't yeah, remember it. It was like Kids Next Door, the manga, but they're teenagers. How have I phased this out of my memory? I, I must have that volume. Well, for, for, first off, I think the comparison the, uh, to Kids Next Door is almost an insult to Kids Next Door because it Kids is, Next Door but... <laughs> is uh, is honestly a lot more clever than U19 ever could have oh, been. But yeah. it, uh, just just comparing the first two chapters like by themselves, I I thought U19 at first was a little more interesting because like uh, I, I had a hard time, unlike Lum, I had a really hard time kind of relating to We Never Learn because I. I was not the studious kind of student at school. Like I, I was the I was the kind of student who did like the bare minimum. Like I still did my homework, but like I wasn't super passionate about you know school and whatnot. I was just kind of there. Now, again, this just wasn't really the kind of thing I related to personally. Whereas U nineteen, I I related more to that like very rebellious spirit. Like oh yeah, you know the whole like you know. Well, down with authority kind of thing I thought was uh, something I related to a little bit more. I don't know what that says about me in particular, but um, I think I it know. says something about the jump readership that we never learn was ultimately the one that caught on. 
and uh, built a fan base from very early on, I think, that a lot of people will gravitate towards the series. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I also, even back, like, even back when we talked about that first chapter, like, you know, I recognize that We Never Learn obviously has its audience, and I like the potential it has for how well it can possibly relate to a younger readership who are going through that tumultuous time in their lives where it's like they have to constantly think about their futures and, you know, are constantly striving to do the best they can with their studies. Like, I, I really like that aspect of We Never Learn, and I think that's I think that part of We Never Learn is really invaluable. And in that sense, I appreciate I appreciate it being a part of the Shut and Jump lineup. But um, I'm, since I started reading it, like, let me put it this way. I, I recognize the good of We Never Learn, and I think there's good stuff in We Never Learn. But I think ultimately, I'm, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm having a hard time overcoming that barrier of mine where I, I just don't think I'm into harem comedies at all. Because, like, I, I had this weird thing where it's like, I... Uh, for like the first like 15 or 20 chapters, I was really endeared by the cast and I, I really thought it was super cute and I really liked all the characters and I'm like, man, I really just like seeing all these characters hang out together and, you know, it, it's not, it's not bogged down by any like, um, by any like dumb plot devices like with Nisekoi or whatever and, you know, just like, just like we mentioned earlier, you know, it's also not bogged down by the fact that, we kind of already know who's going to end up with who, and, and you know, th there's nothing like that to, like, take away the tension from the harem aspects of it, you know, uh, which I thought, again, made it a little more interesting. But, uh, I don't know, it really feels like there's a point in the series where, like, it really kind of starts to lean more heavily into the harem shenanigans. Like, I guess one example that comes to mind is, like, uh, the stuff where Yuiga's at the beach with uh, Asumi, and all that, which uh, which leads into, oh no, Kirisu lost her top. Oh no, now we have to deal with this. Like, oh, yeah. like it's 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 when the series starts really diving into stuff like that and relying on. Uh, there was a solid stretch of like ten chapters around that point, and I don't know if that's around the point that you stopped. How far did you get again, Colton? Um, I got up to chapter sixty four, and I I believe. I believe uh, I stopped in the middle of um, of their school festival. Oh my gosh! Okay, yeah. No, oh, it was didn't stretch. get to the oh, end. No, that's not a great place to oh. stop. It was. It was the stretch. <laughs> but yeah, it it was the stretch just before the school festival when there was just like a solid ten chapters of very little like focus on character development and just yeah harem shenanigans. Because mm -hmm. I, I I think it also did it help that like I. I did plan out like a sort of a schedule throughout the week before we uh, before we recorded the show today, where it's like, okay, I'm gonna read this many chapters that we never learn per day. And at first, it wasn't very hard. Like, you know, when I was when I was a little more into it into the beginning, it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard for me to read like eight or ten chapters in a row, like because you know each chapter goes by really quickly. And uh, again, like we said, most of the most of the chapters are really episodic. Um, but yeah, it, it really was that stretch of. Uh, very shenanigan, harem-y type of stuff that, like, uh, where I started to feel like, man, this is this is kind of a slog. Not really, not much is really happening, and I don't think any of this is funny. <laughs> 
In your defense, I think we never learn is best read on a weekly basis than as a binge read because I do yeah. think that there are repetitive elements to never learn. Though at the same time, I think it's funny that you started weeks ago preparing for this podcast and only got through two thirds of it when I literally finished it in one night after procrastinating throughout the entire week, working on other stuff and watching Pokemon on Twitch in my downtime instead. I'm not good at managing my time. I feel like we've established this before. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Colton, I I can really see how, you know, that stretch of chapters can be a turnoff for you. But I I do hope you go back and give it another shot, because I think shortly after that, the series starts pulling back a little bit more. And recently, especially, it's been a lot more focused on kind of serious character arcs uh, for pretty much every character like we've gotten a lot of you know character development and relationship development for a lot of the characters uh and it's been really nice so it's it's pulled back from the wacky hijinks stuff that you you didn't like so much there's been a lot of continuity between recent chapters even in chapters that seemingly seems like standalone they are tying back in into like what the core struggle of the characters are and with like Uyga's goal, with the goals of the other characters, like man, we the last couple months of chapters have just been so like emotionally on point in terms of delivering on payoff for these character arcs from the beginning and then continuing to develop them even further. And like the series Endgame, I don't think is quite in reach yet, but we're working towards something for sure. That it's it's like everything is really, really coming together. Uh, I think I think the highlight of all that was how it touched on Yuiga seeing the girls not just as people he's like tutoring, but rivals that he wants to get on par with. Which wasn't something we'd really seen since chapter one, where he was a much more like he was he was much more bitter towards Rizu and Furuhashi because he wanted to get that VIP, and they were just completely wiping the floor with him. Uh, and so it was nice to see like a more like him 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 have that kind of rivalry, but in a more sympathetic way. Yeah, I love that he starts out seeing them as rivals and being bitter towards their success, and then he changes his attitude to like seeing them as friends who he wants to help encourage, reach their best potential, and achieve their dreams and be happy. And then after he sees how well they've started to improve like he starts thinking about himself and what he wants and then he looks at them for inspiration and i love how that change like happens from the beginning of the series to where it is now that he starts off being like resentful of them and now he is inspired by them um i will say that um just coming off of that um i will say that one of my favorite chapters so far is probably chapter 47 where um basically they're still at cram school and uh you, you just have this group of guys who are like oh man the, uh, you you uh narayuki's hanging out with all those girls or whatever oh man i wish a shadow emperor <laughs> <laughs> or whatever and uh, asami has to basically show them like hey like you know uh, narayuki he's not he's not just he, he's not just helping these girls just because you know he, he wants to get with any of them or whatever like he actually you know cares about their studies and cares about actually Actually, you know, improving their study skills, which I thought was really uh, satisfying. There are great chapters like that that go out of the show, like just how hardworking these characters are and just that makes them 
so endearing. Like, I really feel this series never loses, like, the heart of what the characters are working towards, even when it, like, indulges in, like, harem shenanigans. I guess, uh, I guess, do we just want to talk about, uh, just our favorite characters in general? Because I, I feel like some of us are, um, some, some of us definitely have, uh, have a favorite or two. <laughs> Most definitely. I think we should go through all the characters as a good way to kind of uh, explore everything that we never learn really does well in terms of how it explores its different teams and also its strengths in characterization. But I think one of the things that sets we never learn apart from similar harem or rom-com series, especially those in Jump, is that Wega is a genuinely compelling protagonist in his own right with his own character arc and a dream he's working towards outside of his relationship with the girls. Like, the girls inspire him and are a huge part of helping him, like, mature as a person, but, like, they aren't like his goal in the series is not to be romantically involved uh, or ha- end up with someone at the end like it is with so many other harem or rom-com protagonists it's that he has a very sympathetic very endearing dream of wanting to at the start of the series do right by his family help them live a better life by going to a good school getting a degree and going getting a great job that's high paying like that's his goal to start and we see later on that he even from very early on like he mentions that you know i don't really have like a big dream of my own i have like this goal of helping my family but i don't really have a dream but as the series progresses we kind of see through his experiences in tutoring the girls that he develops that dream that he develops the dream of wanting to get into pedagogy and become a teacher and ultimately you know this culminates in like the parent teacher conferences where like you know he's with his mom and the teacher is asking him you know what is your dream you got you're so good at school like what do you want to be and like Uega gives his goal which is like i want to get a great job that is high paying to support my family and then his mom asks him later Uega, you know is that really what you want you don't need to worry about us i want you to be happy and then Uega has to think about that for a couple of chapters he has more experiences with how uh, other characters are dealing with pursuing their own dreams, particularly the story arc with Fumino and her father. And then ultimately, after going through many different experiences and thinking about like what he wants to do, he's able to kind of admit to Rizu that, you know, I, I might give up on the recommendation. I might want to pursue something else instead but then he you know is worried that's too selfish but you know he's encouraged no that's not selfish you know you should do what makes you happy your happiness is most important and that leads him to basically giving up on what the established goal he had at the beginning of the series was which was uh the VIP recommendation like he no longer is pursuing it now he's pursuing his own personal dream that will make him happy which is becoming a teacher and i really think that character arc is so satisfying i think it's great to have a character arc like that because for so many people like they might think like when they're young that oh i have to do this i this is the one sure path to success this is what i need to do but it might not be really what they want to do or what they'll make them the most happy and there's so many people like i feel like i was kind of a person like that too where they didn't really think about 
doing the things that would make them the most happy and instead were focusing on doing things that they thought would ensure them academic or financial success in the future, but, you know, would not be in areas that would make them truly, you know, fulfilled as a person emotionally. So I think Yuiga coming to that realization that even though his goal is noble and even though he cares about his family and really wants to support them, like ultimately his goal and his happiness, like that's what the people around him want to see him achieve. And that's what he himself really wants for himself. And that's the most important thing. That's what he needs to strive for and work hard towards achieving. And I really found that character arc incredibly inspiring and, you know, just very in point with like what a struggle that teenage not even just teenagers but a lot of young uh teenagers young adults have at this point in their lives where they're like they don't really they have this goal that they think is like this is the path for a successful future but it's not but they're kind of ignoring what they really want what they really want to do deep in their hearts and i really think that the series sends a great message through Eureka's character arc and it's a satisfying character arc in terms of character development and it's like nothing you can compare with Uega is in any of the other jump rom-coms harem series I've read. I've read, you know, quite a few. I read Himigori, Orange Road, and Nizakoi, and Video Girl Eye, and the characters' struggles in those series are always centered on their relationship with the, their love interest. It's, it's never outside of that. They don't really have a big goal that they have to struggle towards or, like, a really impassioned character arc that is outside their relationship with their love interest. But Uega has that. He is truly his own character. He's not just a cipher that is there for the girls to fawn over. He is his own person, and consequently, we can understand why the girls like him, because naturally throw their curse of the series they see his best qualities and they genuinely get endeared to him and it's not really forced like it is in so many other series where it's like we're told that this guy is nice or this guy is attractive but why do are they interested in this character beyond that that's like retroactively explained if at best Uh, or at worst it's like it's not really ever made clear why, or or it's like a fantasy girlfriend kind of thing at the start with that develops into, oh, then retroactively they develop actual genuine reasons for liking the protagonist. So We Never Learn just does such a great job with establishing characters and exploring character relationships so naturally in a way that makes them genuinely endearing, compelling, and believable people in a way that I feel a lot of it are harem and rom series uh, fail to do especially uh when of the stuff i've read in jump oh man like uh i, I feel like i'm probably gonna bring up nisekoi a lot just because uh that, that was that was part of the reason why i think i wasn't really so keen on reading we never learned when it first came out was because i i, I was still feeling kind of a little burnout from finishing nisekoi which was a rom-com that i read weekly Pretty much almost from the very beginning up until the end. Um, and that series just like I, I, I feel like the more I think back on Nisekoi in particular, like the more I feel like I dislike it. 
My disagreement with you, Colton, is that I didn't care for Nizakoi much at the beginning, but I thought the last two years of its run were rock solid with character arcs that progressed the story, explored the characters well, and I, at that point, I found it genuinely compelling and enjoyable to read week to week, and it was one of the favorite things I was looking forward to reading week to week. But going back to my point with Yuiga, I cannot tell you what Raku's ambition in the series was and how oh, it was meaningfully all. explored outside of his relationship with the other female characters in that series. I cannot tell you a thing about him that is not defined by his relationship to the other characters and especially the female characters. So uh so I am I'm only just like catching up on Nisekoi now. Um I've just started watching the anime for it, but I did initially try it when it came out and was very put off by I didn't like the main character's dynamics at all. Uh, as in, like, I didn't like that it was like, this is like a very generic sort of aggressive Sundere It's watered-down ramen, Akane, from Rama Half. <laughs> and I'm not, yes, I'm not a, I'm not generally a fan of the Sundere archetype, uh, and um, I didn't like their whole, that their whole dynamic was they just squabble loads, but occasionally they have a tender moment. I don't find that terribly endearing. Um, and there's nothing like that and We Never Learn. Yeah, none of the character dynamics are like that in We Never Learn, which made it much more instantly appealing to me. Yeah, like, one of We Never Learn successes is that it's the weak link in so many of these Shonen Jump harem rom-com series is the ma- main protagonist, the male protagonist. I don't care about Kasuka Kyosuke and Kimagori on Road. I saw only somewhat like Raku and Nizikoi when he gets involved with helping the girls in certain parts of the story, but ultimately he's the least interesting part about it. Uh, the main character, Video Girl Eye, is less interesting than the people around him. Uh, except for the people who are scummy, but in We Never Learn, Uega is genuinely one of the most compelling characters and has one of the strongest character arcs. So, like, again, Strategy Sweet Street does such a great job of balancing, like, making all of his characters enjoyable and endearing, and especially with Uega. That was so important, he just nailed it in a way that few jump wrong come, especially, like, the spiritual predecessor to We Never Learn Nisekoi just did not do. I I also really like, you you brought up earlier uh, the fact about, you know, how uh, sometimes in these harem rom-coms, like, you know, especially we never learn, you know, because uh, obviously uh, all the girls like genuinely, you know, care about uh, Yuiga and, you know, you, you, you see why they do. And, you know, especially like I mentioned earlier in cha- in that chapter 47, where Asumi really like sticks up for him and really argues the better part of his character, you know, helping these girls and whatnot. And I well, like, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, you know, I-, I could I could believe the girls in We Never Learn having a conversation about how great Yuiga is and not have it feeling forced. Because that, that was some those were some of my, like, least favorite conversations in, like, Nisekoi, where it's like, it feels like the uh, all the girls' lives, like, just revolve around Raku and talking about how great and awesome he is. And th- th- those were some of my least favorite parts of that series in particular. 
And what's nice about New Never Learn is that the girls do have lives outside of the relationship. We, we get that we get focused exactly, on it. It's like yeah. it's clear they're not thinking on Uega twenty four seven like in so many other Paramount comps. And it's also great that the relationships are not built on misunderstandings, like in Kimigori Orange Road. Like the reason why. Hikaru likes Kiyosuke because he thinks he confessed uh, his love to her when he's really into Madoka. It's like it's all these stupid uh, misunderstandings that form relationships in other series. But like, and we never learned it's always like genuine and it's not immediate. It's like over a period of chapters, we see them developing feelings through di- multiple different events that you can understand okay i understand why like these characters are starting to like fall in love with wega and even with aruga who is established as the childhood friend like we get more elaboration and development of that much faster and in a more compelling and less abstract way than onodera's relationship to raku and nisekoi but yeah, like, I think Uega is, like, a shining example of everything we never learned does right in terms of writing characters. Yeah, the fact that we can spend this much time, you know, talking about the protagonist of a harem <laughs> series, like, that speaks to just, like, how good, how well the series actually manages to do that. Mm-hmm. Darn I straight. Agree. And all the other characters, I think we there's just so much to love about them as well. Even the char- some characters that might you might start off not having a great impression with, I think ultimately, after a certain point, they win you over. Uh, we might have some words, uh, we might have some disagreements about one character in particular, but I think we'll start off just in, I guess, kind of in order of when they're introduced. But why don't we talk about uh, who I know is Buggy's favorite, uh, Fumino, first, and our thoughts on her arc. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, I mean, Fumino's just someone who's a, a sweet girl in general, but I, I think part of what makes her really compelling within the story is because she inserts herself as, like, kind of the the heart of the group, sort of like the the group mom or older sister or whatnot, you know, she falls into that archetype some, and she really cares about everyone's success, uh, romantically speaking, especially. Uh, and it is like for a good portion of the series, she is stepping back and not taking a role. She's saying, well, it's more important that Rizu or Urika, you know, recognize their feelings and get the chance to be with him i i can't do that to them i can't you know hurt them uh so when like later on she does finally start opening up about her feelings for uh for yuiga to herself you know it it feels earned it feels deserved mm-hmm I really love that dynamic they established with Fumino early on, that she is aware of Aruka and Risu's feelings towards Wega, and she wants to try and help both of them at the same time, like, you know, achieve a relationship with him. Uh, like, he, she doesn't want to play favorites, but she wants to help them work through their like emotional problems in terms of their relationship with him and over the course of doing that she kind of has to grapple with like she's feeling some jealousy or like nervousness and she kind of has to ultimately come to realize that she has like feelings for Wega too but like she doesn't put those over like her friendship with 
Aruka or Rizu. And, uh, you know, there's a great moment where, like, Aruka has confided to her that she's not going to tell Uega that she loves him because she's going to take the, like, overseas scholarship and go to Australia. And she doesn't, you know, she, she doesn't think that the relationship can can stay the same if she confesses to him for the last like couple months that she's still there and she just wants to preserve like what she has now instead of like uh potentially making things awkward and then going off to uh, to Australia and never seeing Uega again so but and like Fumino you know at first is like going to keep this to herself but then she like clears up a misunderstanding Uega has like, and she tells Uega, you know, Uruka does not have a crush on anyone because Uega is under the assumption that Uruka has a crush on someone that isn't him. Because before he had asked Uruka, you know, do you have a crush on me? And Uruka says, oh, no, no, it's not you. That Don't be silly. You know, in a moment of awkward nervousness. So Uruka has to think about, like, what Fumino means and then it, like, kind of... You know, event like it had this hasn't like finally paid off to the extent that Uega realizes that Aruka is is actually in love with him, but like eventually, like you know, I, I think that's a great character moment for like Fumino is like she she's like looking out for the best interest of her friends and like really wants to see them be happy. Like even if she also has feelings for Uega, she. She would feel better if Uega got with Ida Riz or Aruka because she she put she also puts her friend's happiness before her own, and I think that's an interesting conflict. I really want to see like if that will come to a head at some point where she does like make kind of like a a move on Uega herself and like admit her feelings to him at some point, even though she knows that Rizu and Aruka, you know, have feelings for him too. Yeah, and she she's really the glue that kind of holds that group together uh, for the most part, uh, because you can see she has, you know, some form of relationship with, with Uruka. Uh, she has some form of relationship with Rizu, but it's like uh, sort of like the, the Sex in the City thing. It's like, well, all the girls would hang out with Carrie, but would they ever hang out with each other? You don't see a lot of instances of Rizu hanging out with Urika on their own. Well, actually, you do. Like, they went bra shopping together. Like That's right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Eventually, yes. it's very interesting, Rizu and Yuruka's, like, relationship as it develops, because at when Uruka is introduced, Rizu is very annoyed by Uruka. She's not a big fan of her and the fact that she doesn't take studying seriously and is very cold and mean to her in terms of making like uh cutting remarks about like you know telling her to shut up or you know i don't care if you're gonna fail just don't bother me and it's very interesting to see that over the course of the series that they do actually develop a friendship and you do actually see them hanging out and like you know they are friends so i i like that genuinely develops over the course of the series okay that's that's her, that's my bad sorry that's uh see that's really interesting to me because like um when when they all meet asami for the first time i i love that little detail where ogata is like offering her udon as like a it's like a hey welcome to the group kind of thing <laughs> man i don't want to maybe I sh- we should like talk about ogata not because ogata's change of characterization is also very interesting to me because over the course of the series, Ogata becomes, like, more oblivious and, 
less em- in some ways she's more emotionally aware but in other ways she's like less able to articulate and express herself especially through anger like at the beginning of the series like i mentioned that outburst she had it's like are people defined by their talents and stuff and she at the beginning of the series like she's very like kind of uh angry she's kind of what you would expect more of a particular uh, a stereotypical Sundre would behave in terms of how she reacts towards Ueng and stuff and especially towards like making you know when there are like scandalous or compromising situations like she is like the first to like kind of scorn Uega and like think the worst of him. I feel like a big part of that is the fact that early on it was just her and Furuhashi who's the very he he's the very like quintessential shy type and Uruka who's very dere dere kind of airheaded so I feel like they wanted to have her be a bit harsher to like contrast those more and then like later on as characters who have a bit more edge to them I guess edge is the wrong word but like get introduced they they phase that out yeah it's so interesting to see how their personalities develop but I think Furuhashi kind of fell into that at the beginning as well. Uh, like, early on, she says a lot of things, like, really bluntly. Like, she says a lot of innocently blunt things early on, and that was dropped pretty quickly once uh, later characters started getting introduced. Uh, early Furuhashi is supposed to be, like, this sweet summer child kind of character. Like, she's very airheaded. She, like, says uh, mean things without really thinking about it or meaning them uh, hurtfully and she sleeps during class that's a whole gimmick of hers early on that she is like so she thinks that dieting works if you uh, only eat nasty sugary fatty stuff after a certain time yeah so like (laughs) she's at the beginning of the series like she's a lot more airheaded and but but over the course of the series she develops to someone who's like the most uh, besides assuming she's like the most aware of like what other people are thinking or doing and it's like and reading into how people are reacting to a situation and making inferences that are on the docket. So it's like, it's interesting to see her change from like this, like innocent, like naive character and become kind of like this more, Oh my gosh, what kind of crazy shenanigans have my friends got into now character. And so that's really interesting. It's in some ways, Rizu kind of, adopted some of the obliviousness Farashi had at the beginning because now like Rizu is the one who is does not pick up on any social cues at all and and before where she would chastise uh, and think ill of Uega for misunderstandings of you know thinking that like he's making like some kind of sexual innuendo or suggesting something sexual now she's the character who will make a suggestion like that or make like a inappropriate innuendo like innocently and like without thinking about it and not realize it so it's kind of interesting to see her character kind of do a 180 in terms of that uh, it's like what a lot of comedy series, uh, you know, the characters are not as defined and might have like kind of, re- in some respects, very different characterizations that 
they do later on as the series progresses. You can think of it like early Simpsons. You have like Homer who is more like actively trying to be a good fodder and like willingly sells a TV to a pawn shop. And you know that that is not something that uh, later Homer Simpson would ever do. He would never sell his TV. So it kind of feels like that to me. Mm, that's that's a really interesting comparison. Um, I just want to put out there that Ogata's probably my favorite character out of all the girls. Uh-oh. Why, Colton? I don't know. I just, I kind of like that obliviousness about her, like, and I also think she's just the funniest character out of all the female characters. Um, I think the moment that really cemented it for me was uh, when they were on their study trip and uh, this uh, takes place after the whole thing where Yuiga has to go look for Ogata in the woods while it's raining and they accidentally like fall on each other and kiss each other or whatever. And uh, they have to clean the uh, the bathhouse, but uh, they're accidentally in the women's bathhouse uh, because Ogata didn't put up the clothes sign <laughs> uh, while they were cleaning. So now she has to hide Yuiga. And uh, Yuiga has Ogata try to uh, basically distract the girls from going into the bathhouse. Um, and I, I love how her only way to try to get the girls to not go in is to be like, Hey, guys, do- don't go in there. It's really hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think because uh, Ogata might be my second favorite character uh, and maybe the most consistently funny of the cast for me. Yeah, same. Um, I really like how they, um, I don't want to say robotic, but how they get that very, like, sort of logical, emotional compass, and how they utilize that for jokes. Yeah, I like how Sui Sui draws her like a puppet when she's, like, trying to see, I do not understand human emotions, and so she has, like, this, like, <laughs> yeah, she does of... the very, she gets the very blobby face. Yeah, with, like, this detachable square mouth, like a puppet. Like, it's, like, really funny in the uh, I Love You game chapter, where she's, like, able to say I love you, like, so many times in succession, like a robot. I think the funniest one for me was the Cooking Chinese Whispers chapter, where Furuhashi was trying to cook, and kept sending a text and they kept sending a text to the next girl to ask how they do the recipe but it it gets mixed up so by the time it gets to agata she just texts saruka like furuhashi wants to make a boyfriend he has to be yummy (laughs) 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 and normally i don't know i feel like those kinds of uh misunderstandings would annoy me but i don't know somehow with ogata it's it's very endearing like i I just love how like she she thinks so logically to the point where like she she just um I don't want to say she doesn't understand emotional things but like I kind of like the idea of her kind of learning how to be a more emotionally complete person I guess it's so weird because it feels like in some ways she has regressed from how she was in the first chapter when she is able to like yell and articulate how she's feeling. And now she, and then at some point she's like, love, what is this love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> but like uh, the chapter when she's, I'm just going to list off jokes that I really like now, but like the chapter she, where her and Yuiga go to the cinema and they get to the end of the movie, and he's, like, in tears. It's like a romance about Anthony and Dorothy. And she's just, I don't understand. I don't know Anthony and Dorothy. Why would I be sad about it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that is pretty good. 
Yeah, you, there are great gags with Rizu just consistently throughout the series once, like, they define what her characterization is. Because, I, I mean, I remember I was, like, a fan of her from early on, but even, like, in her early characterization, I thought, like, just because she is the most emotionally hurt by the fact that their previous tutors had rejected them. And so she is, like, the most invested in, like, doing well so Uega doesn't give up on them and then is reassured that Uega won't like if she doesn't do on the, well on the test Uega tells her you know we'll just try uh, and we'll look at what you did wrong and just uh, focus on improving those areas like you know she was very worried about that but Uega you know reassured her so like I was in kind of invested because she seemed like the most effective affected and desperate to succeed and the most hurt in the past by rejection so it was very easy to empathize with her in comparison like with Fumino who was more of an optimist at the beginning about these about this uh, the same kind of things about their teachers rejecting them and, and all that so yeah but over the course of the series like she has definitely become a different character than how she was at the beginning but like she's still very compelling and uh, consistently funny but i think Aruka might be the character among all the girls that I find the most compelling as a character, which is very interesting because when she was first introduced, I did not like her. And I remember a lot of people didn't either. She, I don't think she made a very great first impression. I was not one of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like, I like Aruka. She's probably, probably at least my second favorite if Ogata didn't exist. Um, I don't know. I like I think it's worth mentioning, and and this is not necessarily a criticism of the characters, but I think it's, I I think we can all agree that like, you know, uh, we never learn like as far as character archetypes go that, um that that a lot of these archetypes we we have seen in other series before. Like I don't think there's anything really new here, but like it's it's one of the it's it's one of those things where it's like i don't feel like we never learn like breaks any new ground per se but i feel like i feel like in terms of executing certain archetypes well i feel like i i feel like the series executes all these different archetypes very well and just to be clear i'm only making that point because Utica happens to be the kind of character archetype that i gravitate towards you know that sporty competitive outgoing very personable uh kind of character archetype uh not not to say that she's not a good character but i think that's probably the biggest reason why she is my second favorite character in particular I think they start out as based in archetypes, but as the courses here have progressed, they just have become their own characters, and so their roots have kind of been forgotten. Like we mentioned, it, it's with- the fact that they're developed well, but they're—it's also just like a raw charm thing. I think I think he's very good at making these characters likable in the way that they deliver jokes and uh, and such. Yeah, but really, uh, they kind of twist, like, the ideas of what the archetypes were. Like, at the beginning, Uweka was supposed to be, like, this very uber-serious brain character who is, like, no-nonsense and frustrated that the girls didn't understand, like, the study sessions, but had his heart in the right place. But over the course of the series, he's just become, like, this kind of innocent, pure... A good soul. boy. Like, a, a real good boy, yeah. So, like, the, that <laughs> initial root 
root in the archetype he has, that he was this stereotypical brain character like you've seen in other manga, has kind of been forgotten. The same thing is like with Fumino and Rizu and Naruka too, is like they started out as one thing and they've kind of become something else entirely detached from their roots almost. Uh, if I could if I could go into what I find really what I really like about Takamoto, I just I get a very like raw emotional sense of I want you to be happy from this character um, <laughs> more so than any of the others like she she stresses out so much about like how how things are going with with um, Yuiga and she's like very committed to doing well in order to impress him and for the sake of her teammates but it's also pulling her away from him and like by the end of it I'm like god I, I just want her to catch a break She's the most self-sacrificing character, I think, actually, in a way. Because, you know, she is able to put up a strong front and not let her em- true emotions show, you know, in order to be strong and do right by her friends. Like, uh, during the disastrous, like, swim meet, you know, where Bikur, Kohai, uh, messed up and disqualified them from the team, you know, she gave her encouraging words of advice saying, you know, go ahead and cry now because you'll, you'll learn to never make the mistake again and you'll grow stronger. It's like, you know, I'm going to leave, I'm leaving this in your hands next year. You know, she gives this very inspiring speech to her Kohai and like she puts up a strong front that, you know, she's not going to be down or, you know, uh, show any depression over this because she knows that, you know, she needs to be strong because her friends like, her best friends that you know in the on the team you know they we see a shot of them you know kind of crying and comforting each other like she knows that like she is not the most hurt by this and you know she just she needs to be strong to be there as an emotional support and then later of course with the you know swimmy thing she's like thinking i mean with the i mean a recommendation to go study abroad thing she is thinking about what is going to make everyone the most happy uh, in terms of, like, you know, she doesn't want to mess up what the situation she has with Juega is now. And she wants to, like, pursue her dream and, like, make good use of the opportunities presented to her. Because that is what, you know, she has been encouraged to do by Juega and Kirisu sensei and stuff. So she goes forward with that, even though, you know, it is, like, heartbreakingly, it will separate her from Juega. And so there is just that very compelling element that she is like going the distance like to to hide her feelings, you know, for the sake of preserving what she has now and the happiness she has in the moment that she is willing to, you know, forgo not be uh, truly honest with her own feelings. Uh, But it's that she does. There is like, of course, it does come in like this really compelling moment where she you know kisses Wega and like she makes the pretense of you know overseas it's like a foreign greeting stuff but like yeah you know that's that's like just a very satisfying emotional kind of moment and like you know the the impact it has on Wega after that not necessarily the kiss but the what she tells Wega afterwards you know she is she's going to go at her dream full throttle that she's you know going to take the opportunity she's given and, like, not look back. That makes Yuega think about what he wants in a deeper way and, like, really pushes along his character arc, too. So, like, Aruka is, like, the character, I think... All the char- 
characters are tied into Aegis character arc, but like in terms of like a central relationship, if there had to be like a central couple that I that I would want to see at the end of this, I feel like Aruka and Uega have been established just so well in terms of the relationship with each other and how they've inspired each other that I think I, that would be like the happy the, I think that would be probably the best couple in terms of what has what the relationships have been established between the characters so far mm-hmm. yeah, oh, I, agree. I, I would literally cry with joy but <laughs> I, I don't actually think that's where the series is going um, I do wonder I, about that uh, I am pretty certain that he's going to end up. Well, not certain, but I'm like I'm. I'm backing my prediction that he's going to end up with Furuhashi by the end. Mm-hmm. I wonder. Seconded. It seems like the more obvious arc to go with because, whereas with Uruka, it's she already really really likes him. It's more like an evolution of how how they relate to each other on that. With Furuhashi, she doesn't immediately fancy him and it's her developing those feelings so it makes a lot of sense narratively to have that be the the end relationship i feel you could say the same with rizu too is but i mean i think fumino definitely took longer than rizu and aruka to develop mm. the. Mm. it's it's a visibility thing with rizu rizu is, has not been given enough of an arc with uh with him Early on, she was very emphasized. Uh, she had... Yeah, early on she was, but she's really fallen by the wayside in favor of, of Furuhashi and... Uh, I, I'm i crossing my fingers that the reason that the series is not emphasizing uh, Yuega and Rizu as a re- romantic relationship anymore is because... Uh, they, they are leaning more towards Rizu Sekijo, which I am all the way for. I have to admit, that is the coupling I am most invested in seeing pay off, and I hope it does. Uh, give me my queer representation, Shonen Jump! I mean, if she doesn't get with Yuiga, the the, alter- the second best option is she gets in a polyamorous, uh, happy situation with those two. You know, if if Fumino doesn't get with Uega, maybe, she, you know, like we mentioned uh, before, that Uruka has, is very obviously attracted to girls as well, because there are a lot of comments she makes about how beautiful the other girls look and how uh, Fumino is her ideal type of girl. And uh, she... When uh, you, uh, you noted something very interesting with the uh, chapter where... Uh, Amori left a uh, swimsuit mag in Uega's room, and then Aruka yes. finds it. <laughs> yes. And later on, they get into a compromising position where they're both in poses from the the swimsuit model. And it's very interesting that that Uruka is flustered by Uega being in such a pose, and that that like Uega. Aruka also couldn't help herself but and look at the swimsuit models and admire them. So, like, there's definitely something there. Yeah, it's just su- such a cute little panel where she she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Narayuki's into these things. I guess boys will be boys. And, like, she's covering her eyes. But then she's And then in the next panel, them. she's like, just, like, peeks. I don't know, there are, like, there were so many chapters early on where she was, like, kind of little asides of her, like, checking out Agatha and being like, whoa, you got such a good bod. And, like, the, yeah, I feel like that is also slightly just, like, manga anime girl characterization of their, like, 
they kind of hint at like gay stuff, but they never like actually commit to it. Definitely, I think that with Aruka, there's definitely more you can you can read into. Like this is a little different from how it's normally done. Yeah, the example you gave yeah. was the magazine. It's always a question of, well, is this just, you know, girls being comfortable with other girls and just talking about their bodies in a frank way? Is this... Uh, a, ma- a man's idea of what girls talking about their bodies is like. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, like, there, there's also, well, how much of this is just, you know, generic teasing? And I, I think with Urika, it often goes past both of those. Uh, like, a lot of stuff that uh, that Urika does can fall into that where you know can you can write it off as oh well this this means nothing but there is a lot of stuff there that makes me think well uh, there's there's probably something i have no clue if it ever will be paid off but th- it is something curious to me and i do find very interesting about aruka's character uh, and I, yeah i don't know i would like to see some bi representation in my rom-coms, please. In my Shonen Jump rom-coms. Um, I guess let's dovetail to the other very queer-coded character, uh, Seiki Joe. I, I just... Because, I, I, you know, I, we still need to get to uh, Sumi and Kirisu, but, like, j- just to talk about Seiki Joe, because I, I really want to talk about Seiki Joe. I really love Seiki Joe. She's always hilarious. And, you know, again, like many of the other characters introduced towards the beginning, her characterization has radically changed from what it was supposed to be to what it is now. It has made a remarkable transformation for her just being wanting to be Rizu's rival and not admitting that she also wants to be friends to her, to her having a shrine in her room dedicated to Rizu <laughs> with pillows of Rizu's face, a framed photo of Rizu on the wall, a giant... Like, it's radically changed to to lean into this idea that Seiki Joe doesn't just want to be friends with Rizu. Seiki Joe genuinely loves Rizu. She gets nosebleeds being around Rizu when she she gets excited. She literally, in the most recent Seiki Joe chapter, she kind of says, Oh, I'm not titillated being around you, Rizu. Something to that. Like she uses the word titillated. She is. She loves Rizu. She is so clearly. See, I, don't, I see, I don't. I think they're just really good friends. It's gone. I think at this point, <laughs> it's gone beyond that. It's, it's so. I think that they are definitely leading into that. The idea that, no, she is literally just gay. She is a lesbian. She is into <laughs> The, thing I, the thing I liked the best about that chapter was it's such a common trope when there's, like, a really fanatic sort of gay character that they get very, like, bitter and possessive. But she has, like, a... She loves her, but she has, like, a, sen- a clear-cut sense of boundaries. Like, she's, like... Like, when she, like, held hands with... Uh, Uyga Batch and it's like, oh no, I can't do this. I'm holding hands with Uyga, who she loves. This is bad. Yeah, like, she, I mean, from the very first introduction, like, she immediately realizes, oh, Rizu 
has feelings for Wega, but she doesn't realize them. And then, like, that the follow up is like, huh, so she still doesn't realize her feelings. Like, again, it's like a very slow progression into her, like, full on just being fully in love with Rizu romantically. But, like, from the beginning, she has been aware of Rizu's feelings for Wega and is trying to, like, kind of get her to realize his feelings and, like, be with Wega. Like, there's the chapters where she was like so excited to spend like a day with Rizu, but then Uega shows up and so she leaves them alone together because she she wants Rizu to be happy with her crush. So she's also very self-sacrificing in that way. She's uh, she's content to admire Rizu from afar so long as that her love is happy. But, you know, uh, it, again, it's gone beyond her just wanting to be a rival, like, was set up in the first appearance of her. Now she's, like, making statements like, what? We, this, that guy can't be into Rizu. She needs to spend at least two years taking sneaky photos of her first. I, I, I love that moment in that chapter you were just talking about where, like, you know, Ogata is like, oh, hey, you know, I was looking forward to spending time with you. And, you know, when you left, I thought you were I thought you were like mad at me. And I've I've never Aww. so hard in my entire <laughs> life. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was it a was sweet a ending. Like, I, I, I love I genuinely I really love Sahidra Chappers, not just because I'm invested in like, seeing her and Rizu get together because I am all there to support lgbt characters and i'm shown in manga but also you know generally a lot of her chapters end with like a sweet message about her relationship with uh, rizu that's just very very uh cute and charming and uh and heartwarming so uh i'm rooting for you seiki joe i hope that you can achieve your dream and be with rizu and realize that you your love for rizu definitely extends ab- above any form of adoration or wanting to be friends like i hope you realize that you that you do uh, love her romantically and i, I hope to see you plays into that if nothing else, Seki Joe is at least a very supportive friend, and I I really enjoy that about her. Yes, I mean, just on that level, she's very endearing as well. Well, gosh, I uh, I feel bad taking the contrary position here, just because I I don't like Seki Joe as a character. Oh, like, interesting. No. <laughs> I know, like I I like the fact that they're including representation. It's just. I'm never fully comfortable with it because she's also portrayed as a stalker. Like the, her love for Rizu is played up as as a joke. Yeah, she has been flanderized to the point where again she has apparently been taking photos of Rizu from a distance for two years. It's so weird that like now she's like she gets so flustered like being around Rizu and like in her first introduction she was chastising Rizu for going into a different school that was not in mathematics and it's like the relationship was clearly different in her early appearances. She was also very more observant like she realized that uh in the chapter where like they were trapped in like the the bathroom or whatever and like it got gets to the point where like narayuki is under the table in the sauna room and like fumino's about to discover him like she barges in right in the right moment to and she's like you know i realized from the way riza was acting that something is up so you you know i'm bailing you out here 
And so, you know, again, she's her characterization has uh, very much changed. The most radically out of all yeah. the characters. And again, I understand you, Buggy, that it's like, again, it is, it's not great that she's so much of a, a stock, the stalker character and that she does kind of invade uh, Rizu's privacy a little bit. But because of the tone of the series, I, I can go with it to a certain extent. It's not like... It's not, I mean, I like, Aruka, I feel, by virtue of, like, grabbing Rizu's boobs very early on and uh, being very touchy is, like, more, has been more, like, invasive of other people's privacy uh, in, a, like, a real kind of weird way than, than Seikijou's, like, very fantastical, very fantastical, like, exaggerated fascination. Yeah, with I guess with Uruka, I've, I've written that off as just her seeming to be, like, a very physical, touchy-feely person in general, which, I mean, you know, no boundaries, that's a good thing. But, yeah, I, I feel like I probably can be turned around on uh, Sekijo at some point, uh, just because there was one chapter or series of chapters that I really loved where it kind of goes into her backstory or whatnot, where she felt kind of insecure about being smart and, and good at school uh, because like nobody cared. It didn't make her popular. It just made people upset at her because she threw off the grading curves, uh, which affected the athletes that people liked. Uh, but then she, she takes a test with Rizu and Rizu finishes and ends up disturbing the class uh, kind of in the process. And she's like, well, why, why should I care about their feelings? Like, why should I care if it makes them feel insecure that I... Oh, uh, she doesn't say it in such a, like, mean way. She's like, people are complaining about her finishing first. And she's saying, why, was that wrong thing? Like, she's not, she doesn't, she means that genuinely. She's like, she's like, she's not afraid of what other people think of her. And that's what Sekijo loves about her and why she fell in love with her. That was still really satisfying because it's like, well, why don't you fucks try harder? Like, again, she wasn't saying it in quite as me. Uh, no, but no, that, that's the feeling way, I got but, from. But yeah, it was like, yeah. it was but like being ha having some characterization for Sekijo beyond just you know her being essentially a joke character that's what she is for most of the the series and if that starts to turn around a little more uh, i could really be turned around on on seki joe i could actually feel invested in uh her you know feelings for rizu instead of feeling slightly uncomfortable with how the series handles them yeah i mean i again her backstory is, i think her backstory is very uh sympathetic and relatable so i i mean i do think that uh to her she has a good part uh seki joe ultimately even if she takes things a little too far and again i'm just starred for good representation it's seki joe is not necessarily like the best kind but i'll take what i can get because unfortunately food wars is denying me arena x Hirata, or uh, hisako and i food wars is denying us a lot of things yeah it's like <laughs> I I wanted Arena X Hisako. I shipped them. I they thought that they were definitely setting that up, but nope. Now it feels like it's she's Arena's gonna have to end up with Soma or something. I guess I don't know. Maybe maybe not, but that's where things are leading. I I miss 
that. Let's uh, 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 let, let's let's move on to other characters. Uh, and yeah, moving on from slightly uncomfortable to really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Asumi or Kirisu here. I think we're talking about Kirisu, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, I, I assume that's that's what Buggy's opinion is. <laughs> uh, I can't believe Mafuyu is worst girl. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking, speaking, speaking of characters that we can't be turned around on, uh, Kirisu is definitely one of them. <laughs> and I'm going to disagree with you guys so hard. You're not caught up, Colton. Um, uh, I was turned around on Kirisu a little bit with a recent arc. Good. That Okay, Man. that's fair. As a character. As a character, not as a romantic well, interest. Yeah, God, no, no, she no, 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 never at all. No, no, no. Like, I, again, neither Asumi or Kirisu, because they're both adults. The tech, and they should not be in relationships with a high schooler. Asumi is not a real, like, love interest, though, but we'll get to her. Like, she, she, she yeah. She, well, it, Asumi's also only, like, one or two years older than him. It's not, like, much of a I don't think that's to the level of being It's not as but. bad as Kirisu who is like ten years older than Wega. <laughs> but yeah, like, so I feel like if they if the series were to do like an ending where it's like, oh, we can't really be a thing now, but we're gonna meet up three years later when oh, we're that'd be awful. or whatever. Uh, <laughs> no, that's it would, that's it would still be bad. a little bit She's it a would teacher. be a bit more acceptable with um Asumi than it would with a, a lot than it would with a uh, yeah, again, because she's his teacher. She's again, like she's a she is in a position of power over him. Like this is we're applying like real world. We need to take in context like real world dynamics and like why this is like a bad thing. But the bad it's a bad thing because she is an adult. She's not necessarily emotionally mature, but she is an adult. Uh, she is a teacher. She has position of power over him in terms of being in that teacher student relationship. So no, they should not be romantically involved in any way and i and i think to the series i don't think that kirisu is also genuinely a romantic uh, one of the romantic ends for this that is really being emphasized here like they make jokes that like uh you know kirisu feels like embarrassed that yuega who is like a man was at her apartment because she's not had other people over there before uh, and seen her in her dirty squalor. And there are moments like where they have like a, that seem to like push them into situations like the, the chapter where she has like the shoujo manga about the teacher and student Mm. and that like really, Uh. really, and that (laughs) makes her like on edge during uh, her interaction with Yuig in that chapter. Uh, Yeah, so that's not great stuff at all. But I don't think that, I think that generally that stuff is not, I don't think that the series is going to go down that path. I, I don't think that, I think, I don't like that they even tease it, but you know, I'm confident that it's not going to be because the core of Kirisu's relationship with Yega is that like she, he he helps her kind of ultimately realize that she can be more flexible. She does not have to stick to the strict idea of what teaching should be after her previous failure in helping her student and like not helping her student, uh, you know, reach her full potential. So she can, you know, be, she can be willing to be like genuinely nurturing. And that's not like a sign of weakness or it's, that's not going to hurt her students along one, but also like she also, 
is not wrong for having pursued the path of teaching and like pursuing what her dream was. And also, again, like the relationship, I think like what Kirisu helps Uega realize is kind of like what Uega's dad helped Kirisu realize when he was her teacher uh, is that like, you know, he has good qualities that he does not really see in himself that he should value in himself and that he should go value himself on what his he wants as a per, uh, what he wants and his happiness more and not think that he does not have anything like much to offer beyond like academics so i think that's like what the art i think that's the core of the arc and like the core of the relationship is like you know kirisu was heavily inspired by yuega's father when yuega's father was her teacher and like kirisu is now like serving as a similar mentor support character for yuega like the mo- one of the most important chapters for uh that rela- aspect of the relationship besides like the most recent arc with her was during the mock interviews chapter where you know Uega is not able to articulate what his best qualities are he says like my i'm good at studying and being poor and stuff it's like you know <laughs> Kir- and so kirisu ultimately you know then Uega is like like says you know i don't really know my own strengths i guess and then kirisu is able to tell him well you look at what you've accomplished in terms of tutoring the girls and how honest you are to uh, be about your feelings you know those are strengths and you should think about those so i think so there are moments like that that i really like about their dynamic and i think those are valuable and fit in with the overall Dean series. Again, though, it is, I really don't like, like, this is one of the things I really don't like about We Never Learned, are the chapters where they play into the rom-com Heron Shenanigans with Kirisu because she's an adult and also because the, some of the most, like, egregious fan service happens with Kirisu. And I'm glad that the most egregious stuff happens with the adult character at the very least, but... I would prefer if it didn't happen at all. See, even aside from the whole he, she, he's a student, she's a teacher angle, uh, my big problem with the intense fan service focus on her is that it tends to be rehashing the same joke over and over again, which is, I can't believe that the teacher, the Ice Queen teacher, is in this ludicrous scenario. And after a certain point, it's like, uh, why are you at all surprised that she's in this situation? Why is she at all surprised that she's in this situation? Yeah, and it's like the the, the term for that is gap moe. It's sort of a gap between how how they usually act and this one like and these sort of things that appear to be out of character for her. But the thing is with Kirisu, it's been so frequent that there's no gap anymore. Yeah. It's it's her character. It's expected. Like, she's gone. She's, again, she's also transformed from being this very stern disciplinarian that she was at the beginning to now she is all softened up quite a bit. And, you know, that's positive character development, but there's also, like, again, there's there's a bit of a radical... There is, like, less, I guess, sternness to her character. It, it happens very early on. Uh, in some ways. But her internal, like she very early on, like the idea that she uh, is lives in squalor, and it's like this again the the caught the gap moment, the economy that like oh the super serious teacher, a disciplinarian, it lives such a sloppy lifestyle. 
Uh, that is, like, established very early on. But then, like, her, like, emotional development is a lot slower. But then, uh, I mean, man, in context, though, in terms of, like, why she lives the way she loves and her failure, her failure to live as an adult, like, and how that ties back into, like, uh, some deep family problems and, like, struggles she had uh, and, like, sense of failure as a teacher because of how she failed her student and all that it's like that's i think in context and in retrospect a lot of that stuff is actually oh it's kind of sad the way she lives and why she lives this way yeah i do like that aspect of a character and i do like the jokes that lean into that sort of element like like just when she gets drunk and she just gets ridiculously complimentary there was something i found quite endearing about that like oh you wear glasses. That's so impressive. You're so good at breathing. <laughs> uh, that 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 is a good quirk. Yeah, I I'm, I I think it's really funny that the, the there's the chapter where she has has to teach a cooking class, but she she thinks following the recipe would, would be too inefficient, so she doesn't do it, and she just uses pancake mix to make hamburgers. I thought that was funny. Like the idea, like that curiosity is this like peak millennial character who is like somewhat smarter than people older than her but like at least more emotionally rare than people older than her but she is like way less skilled and dumber than people younger than her is really funny to me like that she fails she is just a cannot adult at all is is kind of amusing me you know, I, I I was pretty ready to like talk about how much I don't like Kirisu, but but he but hearing that she has an arc that I haven't read yet, I think I'm gonna hold off on that. Um, yeah, but but I I will say I'm really surprised at how like because I don't know because uh, obviously I hadn't read We Never Learned for like the two years it'd been out, like I hadn't started reading it until like maybe a month ago. So you know, I I was aware of Kirisu. And, you know, Lama's mentioned her on and off on, like, on mic and off mic before, whenever it comes up. And I I don't know. For some reason, I just kind of assumed, like, I didn't know she would have the personality that she had. Like, I had no idea that she was this really strict, hard-ass kind of teacher. I honestly thought that, like... I expected her to have a more bubbly personality for some reason. I don't know why. So it was really, uh, it was really jarring for me when she was first introduced that she was just this really strict teacher who had this really, uh, you know, who just uh, had no desire to really nurture her students at all because it, she thought it fostered weakness. Like I, I just wasn't expecting that kind of character from her. So I, I was kind of thrown a little bit, um, but like I said, yeah, I'm I'm gonna wait until I actually catch up with We Never Learn before I form an opi- opinion about Kirisu. But so far, yeah, until I until I read her arc coming up, I I'm still not really sold on her, and I, I really hate the way she teaches. In terms of Kirisu's character arc, I think I was really surprised because uh, when she was first introduced as like this antagonistic character, as someone who was like, Yueka should give up on tutoring this girl. It's pointless. Like, I thought she would stay an antagonistic force for more of the series, but it's kind of resolved pretty quick into the series uh, that like, like uh, Kirisu coming to understand and respect Yueka as a tutor for the girls and the results that he's achieving with them. And help how he's helping them and stuff and then learning more about like how she really feels about them that she actually does care about their well-being not just their academic success 
I remember that when I was reading this uh, as it came out, that I was a little disappointed that her role as an antagonist uh, ended so quickly. But I, you know, uh, as much as I have not liked a lot of the fan service or the oh my god, yeah, like I, I can't, I cannot count on one hand how many times her bottom is up and I can see her panty lines. Like it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's a problem with all, a lot of the girls and especially with Kirisu, but like their pants are too tight and they ride up their ass and it's like so uncomfortable. And I, I think it's it's not great fan service. It's definitely a thing that Sutsui like. <laughs> Can we talk about the fan service a little bit? Because that's that's I mean, obviously it's like my least favorite part of We Never Learn, but it's it's weird because it's my least favorite part, not just because like. I don't know. It, it's weird because, like, we we never learn. It feels like the series wants to be like real. Uh, it feels like the series wants to be as wholesome as it can be, but the fan service really like detracts from that. Like, it feels like it's it feels like it doesn't belong. If that makes any sense, I don't know if anyone else feels the same way. Uh, I think it detracts from the emotional core of the series. I think, especially in chapters that are meant to be like heartfelt and focused on emotional catharsis and like the exploring the characters' feelings, like in the end of the Kiri- recent Curiosity arc, like there are is fan service moments that I think that detracts from the goal of the story, and it, it, it's a little distracting and I, I think that the series would be better off without it for one thing just as a general rule i don't like underage characters being sexualized it's something that i've inc- always had a problem with it and increasingly have a problem with it as i've grown older but again because we never learn is rooted in such valid genuine compassion for its characters that it really explores and has developed its characters as full dimensional like people and because it's exploring their character arcs so well and like exploring like themes that are resonant especially for its target audience i think it is of doing itself very much a disturbance by having such sleazy and distracting and unnecessary fan service that is very exploitative my my theory on that is you know, it feels like ever since we've talked about Bakuman on the podcast and we revisited it, like, and, you know, what, and, you know, what we found out about, like, what the workplace culture at Shonen Jump is like, I would not be surprised if all the fan service is basically just a quota from, from their editor. If there, I mean, yeah, I think about that scene in Bakuman where Aokiko's editor is telling her, you need to have three fan service shots, uh, three panty shots per chapter. Like, I think back to that and wonder, man, are there actually, like, fan service quotas? Is there, like, actually a mandate on the behest of Jump Editorial that a rom-com series needs to have some degree of fan service or that this, I believe that adding fan service will make a series more popular. And I... Yeah, I wonder about that. I definitely think it is a byproduct of Jump doing things the way they have been doing these past 50 years and not having a single female editor. And I think that it is bad. Uh, and I think that the the reason why things are the way they are and why they keep being perpetuated is because the way things they are, I think that entire system needs to be taken down. I think that it needs to be re-evaluated. We should not be having like fan service that's exploitative in a series aimed towards children 
and we should not have children be exposed to fan service that sexualizes girls and makes them think of femininity as inherently sexual or women as inherently sexual from such a young age. I think it's incredibly damaging on the culture, on the mindset of people as they grow up. It's just a completely bad idea. And I think like that, especially in a series like We Never Learned, which is about nurturing like healthy ideas of like how to you know, take ownership of your dream and yourself as a person and pursue your dreams to live your best life. I think it's like doing a complete disservice to have fan service that uh, fosters damaging perceptions of other people and uh, can have a harmful effect on how uh, you perceive people. Yeah, because like, because like I said, it normally like, you know, I would just be annoyed at fan service because it's just generally distracting. But for a series like We Never Learn, it just... It is extra disappointing. Yeah, it, it just really feels like it doesn't belong in a series like this, even if it is a harem. I'm generally quite laissez-faire, and I, I don't have particularly strong feelings on like whether fan service is in a series or not, but I think my biggest regret with the fact that it's in here is that other, I know a lot of people that otherwise would probably really enjoy this series, and it makes it harder to recommend to them uh, because it has that it, it, it has that element to it. Yeah, and that's true. And, like, a lot of the fan service in here isn't even, like, top-level stuff, <laughs> you know? Like, to be to be perfectly honest, like, a lot of it is, like, I wouldn't come to this series for the fan service. It's just so sporadic. It's, you know, if it's, if it's, if you're going to make a fan service series, make a fan service series. Yeah. Yeah, the fan service-related uh, jokes are... Usually the least funny and the least clever, for sure. I think it gets enough mileage out of some of them. I think that, like, the Furuhashi and uh, Ogata jokes about, you know, their respective bust sizes and oh. what it gets from that in terms of... I mean, your mileage may vary. I think... I found that chapter quite funny. <laughs> Sorry, I'm incredibly immature. Uh, I mean, it depends, depends on the chapter. Like, my big thing with Fumino's breast, breast complex is that it's like, have thinking, like, being, her being, like, so hurt and res resentful that she has small breasts and, like, having a session over that, like, in, I know people in real life, especially my trans friends, where that is, like, an actual damaging thing, that, like, they are not feminine enough because their bodies are not feminine enough, and, you know, that's an actually hurtful thing that is, that, you know, is psychologically damaging. So, to me, when I see that being played off for comedy, we never learn, and it's just supposed to be, like, this light thing, like, Fumino is not actually, like, psychologically disturbed by it, it's just supposed to be a joke, but when I think about the real-world consequences context of this and how people are acting like people i know in real life have actually felt and like what i have stories that i've heard and like of of this body dysmorphia like and i think to how fumino is like feeling about you know looking at the bus sizes of her friends and like not feeling like she's feminine enough and feeling like inadequate i think that is you know uh i think that's in real life that's a really harmful damaging thing and I think that it's wrong to just play that off as comedy in a series aimed towards children and have them develop these ideas that, you know, oh, uh, it, your 
less feminine uh, if you don't have big breasts or it's it's funny if you don't have big breasts and uh you know that's a, that's a joke oh ha 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 like i just to me that i think that is really irresponsible and it's just very mean-spirited there are times where when sweet sweet frames it as a joke about just fumino being like petty or envious like for like during the chapter where Uega is giving massages you know in the costume and like you know Rizu ha- has her back massage and stuff and like uh, originally Fumino is gonna have her lower back massage but then she's like thinks for a second and is like oh actually oh my my shoulders ache oh wow like having just real hurts like that was the time where it was funny because the way the execution played off it was a joke about her like trying to compete with Rizu in a way it was a joke about like just like her own pettiness that she that she just wanted to like uh keep up appearances and in, in, in like kind of a form of vanity when it was when it's framed like that i can you know find it enjoyable and laugh at it but when oftentimes when this jo- joke is just that oh fumino is resentful because she has no breasts and she hates that her friends are commenting on that and it's like making her feel hurt or like giving her low self-esteem that stuff i really am uncomfortable with and i I, again i think it's irresponsible and yeah characters with small breasts having that be a punchline is quite a common thing across anime and manga yeah it needs to stop because you need to think about the real world consequences what what kind of messages are teaching children god damn it ah yeah, I, I I can understand that perspective. Uh, I would even say I agree to an extent, maybe not uh, with as much conviction as you believe. But I think ultimately what, you know, all this ends up boiling down to is that the fan service and all the elements of it, they're going to be divisive no matter what. Uh, your mileage is probably going to vary on whether, you know, it's something that you don't have an issue with in the series, whether it's something that's you know, potentially adds a little bit to the series for you, whether it's something that detracts some or that really detracts or even ruins or makes the series inaccessible for you. Mm -hmm. The series would be so much easier to recommend to other people. And I think so many people get so much out of it, but you have to add this qualifier fan service. And it makes me so sad and it makes me wish the fan service was not in here so that it could like reach a wider audience. Like I could never recommend We Never Learn to kids because I don't want to expose them to fan service or like the wary poorly taught out body dysmorphia jokes because I, I just don't because that will not be uh right or positive for them so I don't like I, I really think it's a real shame because there's just such the, the core of you never learned is so good but like it really does undermine itself with this fan service like I said, I I really hope that's just a problem with whoever's editing We Never Learn, but again, uh, we don't really know for sure. <laughs> I felt during the early chapters that it was it felt forced to me, the fan service, but as the series has gone on, I think for worse in my opinion that Sushi Taisi has embraced it. But, you know, it's the series. We can't change it, but I would I really 
I know it's not going to happen, but my I would love if the anime toned it down, but I fear it'll just play it up, so. Oh, yeah, you know you know they will. <laughs> I know they will, so it makes me so sad, because I just imagined the discourse when the first episode comes up, and I'll see so many people write it off as just another st- stereotypical fan service heron show when there's just so much more valuable in it. Yeah, it also doesn't help that the anime doesn't look like a particularly, like, like they they were given much to work with as an adaptation. Like, it looks like a very, like, under-animated... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's no Nizakoi, for sure. Nizakoi had a great adaptation from Shaft that was very visually clever and, like... Yeah, like, no, part of the reason I got uh, back into it... I have it, beef with Shaft, but... Yeah, but... <laughs> Uh, I will say Nisekoi is very. If you've seen any of their any of Shaft's other shows, it's very like those. Like I, that is my biggest beef with it. It's it's quite monogatory alike. Yeah, Sh- Shaft I think really salvaged the Nisekoi animes like uh, goodwill when it came out. I think a lot more people have written off the Nisekoi anime if like Shaft didn't put their stylistic flourishes in there, and like made the experience of watching it very interesting for the tricks they use and also it was well animated so but yeah we never learn i don't know what to expect but i'm not expecting uh i'm not expecting a very high I, the character designs looks good art color design looks good but like not expecting like imp- a really interesting animation or uh, creative direction i'm just expecting it to be kind of like a straightforward adaptation of the manga and it won't and it won't earn any more goodwill beyond that. It's it's a real shame because like there was a point when I was reading We Never Learned that I thought, huh, maybe I could actually like I, I maybe I could actually like get uh one or two of my friends into the series. They might actually like this. You know, uh, friends who aren't usually into harem comedies, you know, such as such as me, you know, like I but you know, the more I read on and the more fan service I you know, it started you know, dabbling in, I was just, you know, I was kind of like, ah, I'm not so confident now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It is unfortunate. I mean, well, I think that we should talk about the final character we haven't gotten to yet. Like the character probably free <laughs> from the most of this baggage when it comes to the fan service, uh, thankfully. Uh, as the Starra stream crew like to call her uh legal lolly asumi kominami <laughs> wow legal lolly starts a new romance ah. <laughs> yeah she you know of the all the main characters she is introduced the latest she's introduced in like chapter 31 uh when like most of the other characters are introduced within like the first 10 chapters but, yeah, I forgot it was so late that she came in. Yeah, really a third of the way into the series at this point, but... And man, she was like the biggest turnaround of a character for me. Because the first chapter she was introduced, she was very, like, snappy and down-talking to Yuiga. So I thought, oh, is this series finally going to introduce a bitchy Sundere? Oh dear, do I have to abort? Uh... And instead, basically the role she has is as someone who is much more flippant and kind of, like, not flustered at all about the harem rom-com stuff and very frequently makes fun of it. And that's such a refreshing presence to have. Yeah. 
for yeah. sure. Yeah, she she was a legitimately good addition to the cast. She I was a breath of fresh hair. Her sense of humor, her teasing of Uega and making all these innuendos to intentionally make him uncomfortable and like uh play jokes on him that is always a lot of fun like Kasumi is always so confident in herself and takes and is never very rarely is flustered I think only in one of the more recent chapters do we actually have a moment of a genuine like uh emotional vulnerability from her uh when she's with Uega. But like in general, she's like always very confident and self-assured and uh, uh just very on top of things. She's very rarely distracted from studying when other shenanigans are going on. She's very blunt with people, the least likely to perpetuate misunderstandings if she knows what's going on. So yeah, I like, unless she thinks it'll be funny, but uh, oftentimes that she will, like, uh, pull the rug uh, and reveal what's really going on. But, like, yeah, I think Azumi is a great presence the series because she is just, like, the most chill person in terms of, like, being aware of what's going around her, but also able to go along in good fun instead of, like, being dragged along and being, like, embarrassed or, like, uh, get into situations where she is emotionally vulnerable like she's never in a position like that where she like she is uh like the confidence she has is betrayed in any way Mm. i i I have to give we never learn credit where credit is due in that it's it's been over a hundred chapters and there's still no like real soon characters which for me is a huge plus because it, I mean, with with everything else, you know, a, a Sundere character would have just been like the nail in the coffin for me. Like, I, I cannot stand that character archetype whatsoever. It's so common. I mean, Rizu, I think, was supposed to be that game, but very quickly that changed. So I'm very glad that We Never Learn is one of those rare harem rom-coms that are, is free from the Sundere. Yeah, I think Kirisu is the closest to that, and even she doesn't really count. At at this point, she's not even that at all. Like she, there's no, she's very rarely soon unless it's like when it comes to academics or like people messing around. Otherwise, she's kind of a pretty reasonable person. Or the joke is about her being not able to do adult things very well. Like Asumi to me is like serves as a good like serves as a good like kind of big sister kind of role to the rest of the cast. Yeah. Uh, which, which I think, uh, which I think is pretty great, um, and I, I just, I just love. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I like, I love how like welcoming the rest of the cast is with, uh, with her when they, uh, when, when the rest of the girls like run into them at like the at the restaurant or whatever. Um, it's just, it's just so nice. Like, I just, I love that. Yeah, I know the joke with Ozmi is that she is supposed to look really young, but I have to admit that never at any point in the series do I actually ever feel that she looks younger than the other characters. Her eyes are drawn in such a way that she just does feel like an older character than the main high school trio of girls. Yeah, it's it's primarily her height. And, and even then like, she's taller than In a lot of Rizu. panels, that's not even often. Yeah, yeah. very rarely is that very obvious that she's very short so they, they they constantly make the joke how like she looks like an elementary schooler when 
I, I know no, it's supposed. She she doesn't. I mean, the, the, it's supposed like, to be <laughs> the idea of it because her hairstyle is like a childish hairstyle. Uh, it's like a subtle thing, but like the whole pigtails, her her like haircut, like it's supposed to be kind of like a childish haircut. But like it, very she, she's never comes across as an actual like young character, uh, at least not younger than. The other character, she does come across as older than me. And a lot of that does actually have to do with, you know, how she carries herself and her personality. She is actually, like, chill and mature in a believable way that you would expect, like, a 19-year-old to be. Yeah, I was going to say, like, nothing about her physicality made me think that she was really any younger than, like, even 18. Mm -hmm. And also, I mentioned this earlier, but Azumi is also, even though she's technically a part of the group that is supposed to be the harem like she is not really that much of a part of it like only very recently i think is there any moment where she actually might genuinely have any deeper feelings for Uega beyond like respect and friendship and i don't think those are going to go anywhere at this stage so I is like I like Azumi's presence in the series for that because you can like trust when an Azumi chapter like the joke like she's going to be in control of the jokes and it's like very rarely that it's always going to be like the, the joke is going to be oh like she's the one flustered and so oh, Azumi chapter is also generally very creative and kind of shenanigans that they'll get up to like uh the hamster uh chapter where they have to take care of all the pets and there's this crazy hamster See, that's how you do gap mowing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of... She's the best character when it comes to gap mowing because she puts up this cool girl front, but she really does... Like, she is afraid of hamsters, but she also really likes cute things. Like, in the recent chapter, where she wanted, like, that, uh... Like, big plush toy uh, character, the mascot character. And... The pufferfish one. Yeah, and yeah. was uh, embarrassed to, act, like, actually ask uh, Uega to give it to her. So he gives it to Fumino, and then she kind of roundabout uh, is, like, trying to get Fumino to give it to her. So that was uh, that was pretty enjoyable. I thought that was funny. And, yeah, so uh, and I guess my favorite Azumi chapter is probably the one where she and Uega are doing, like, a house cleaning service. And they go to all everyone's houses, but they don't want Uega to see the squalor in their homes. And so they they they, they uh, don't let Azumi do any cleaning. And she gets incredibly frustrated uh, for by this rejection because she genuinely like, wants to do the work. She has a good work ethic. She likes to do the job she's getting paid for. And so ultimately, she makes Uega take her to his house so she can clean his house. So she can do something. Because <laughs> otherwise, Uega did all the work. Like, healing, cleaning, cures, his apartment, all that stuff. Yeah, that, that was a really funny chapter. Definitely one of my favorites as well. Mm-hmm. But that, I think, does it with the core cast. Are there any other characters you guys want to dig into or any other aspects of the series you want to talk about? Well, I think that there is a lot more to that we can get into thanks to all the questions that we received uh, from across various places. I, I do want to take like just a brief amount of time to maybe dig into some of the arcs a little bit more because we kind of glossed over them. Uh, but there are a few big ones. Uh, for example, the one that uh, Colton stopped reading halfway through. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get my dunce cap ready. <laughs> because that that's one that like that 
arc basically ended with the conclusion that, no, we have a plan for who it's going to... Well, maybe not a plan for who it's going to be, but there are plans to end it. So it's not going to be like some harem ending. He is going to end up with someone. He's not going to end up with no one. Uh, it's not made clear who. And it's like a, it's a real who shot Mr. Burns. And like, there's definitely people that you can eliminate from the list there. Like, cause Rizu and Fumino are off scolding. Like they're the people trying to interfere with their love lives. And then, so, so it just leaves three suspects. Uh, no, I've read through it a few times and it's framed in a way where it could be. It anyone. could be, but maybe you can make the inference that like, they, that because there are off scolding other characters that they couldn't have helped wake up. Like for me, I think that is leaning into it being Garuka. I think there was a break between there though. So, Perhaps, but, but like Uega is still like on the ground, so it must be like a very immediate thing. Like he, he's being helped up. So no, he was he was sitting on a bench. Oh, uh, but either way. Like, uh, it'll be very interesting to see if that gap gets implored. That's, like, the whole... Like, this one nice thing about the series is that there isn't, like, a big, like, uh, mystery box thing. There's no, like... Like, with Nizikoi, there's the keys and the locket and all that. And that's, like, a big thing for the entire series. And it's like, oh, there are more characters with keys! But there's only this mystery and we never learn. And even then, like, just because there's this mystery, that doesn't necessarily mean that when we get the revelation of it that necessitates that that is like the end game for the characters so we'll see about it yeah it's 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 like we mentioned earlier like i think that was um you know i i think that's one of the reasons i i got so burnt out on nisekoi especially in like its last year of serialization because it's like for for me in particular for me personally there was no tension as to like you know who Raku was going to end up with because you know, like we said, it's it's telegraphed pretty heavily from the beginning that it was always going to be um, Chitoge. Mm-hmm. Maybe a slight chance for Onidera, but probably not. <laughs> Chitoge was yeah, exactly. the poster character; like she was the uh, she was the representative of the series. Whenever Nisekoi was marketed, like she is was the face of the series. So she was, was Nisekoi very... from Nisekoi. Basically, she was. It was very hard to buy that any other character besides her could be the end game because she was like, for all intents and purposes, the main character in terms of the marketing. But when we never learn, it's a lot more uh, varied. Like it's a little more unpredictable. Yeah, the series itself is unpredictable in terms of like the amount of attention it focuses on establishing romantic relationships between Uega and other characters but also in terms of like the marketing of the series again on Shonen Jump ensemble covers Rizu and Fumino will always be there together like and just because like they are the poster characters like that doesn't mean that they will necessarily end up Uega because in the series itself that is their relationships aren't necessarily more emphasized than the other characters whereas in Nisekoi it was very much Chitoge first Onodera second and then all the rest were like not even contenders but they were part of the harem so it was not really a question at any point that it was like going to come down between Chitoge and Onodera but it was going to be Chitoge who won out in the end because like it's never the childhood friend so there you go 
I don't know. I guess the only other thing I really want to say on on the arcs is that the uh, the arc with Furuhashi and uh, her father is objectively, in my subjective opinion, the best <laughs> arc of the series so far. It has the emotional payoff for sure. That's the thing. I actually have really mixed feelings on it. Oh, mm. really? Um, yes. Uh, I really like the stuff with Yuiga and her. I feel like her dad got off a bit too light, considering that he gaslighted her basically her whole life and just mocked her like her interests. I feel like it was a bit of a he he isn't really resentful enough by the end of it and it, it could be that like it's going it it's going to be developed on later i'm sure it is but um i just i feel like things are way too forgiving of him at the end of that arc or considering considering how he treated her i think he definitely could you know he needs to there was more responsibility he should have taken and like he needs to do more to make amends for how he treated fumino i think the stuff with yuiga and her and uh, Fumino is lovely, though. Yeah, the payoff to, like, her, like, relationship to her mom and, like, how her mom has inspired her and, like, how her mom connects her and her dad together and, like, that emotional payoff is incredibly cathartic. I legitimately started crying when I was rereading it. It was... It was an emotional arc. Both that and the curious, the recent Curiosity arc to me are the best uh, emotional storylines because the end of the Kirisu arc is also incredibly like emotional where it's like finally like Kirisu like it's throughout the series is like mentioned her parents kind of like disowned her so she has not been in contact with them for a long time and because and it's all rooted in like her giving up on her ice skating career and like her family like be being very excited with that but ultimately like she's able like after she you know truly takes is able to come confident in that you know she made the right decision for herself in her life you know she works up the courage to call her parents again and like she calls them and like we have this line that oh please please don't cry and it's like you know it's it's emotional like like Harisu has kind of like been separated from her parents for so long she was afraid to like confront them and rekindle the relationship because she she wasn't sure that she had made the right decision and she or and she felt bad that she had disappointed them but like you know it it has a great resolution in that you know she she works up the courage after becoming confident in her and the life she has led and then it, it turns out that like her family was also probably struggling with like reaching out to her again and it's like it and like the idea that her mom she, she calls her mom and her mom cries like you know it's very sweet it's touching and sweet it's like you know she was able to reconnect with her family again it's like to someone who like really values family and family relationships that was very um touching to me yeah, it was it was a good enough arc to completely save Kirisu's character for me. Yeah, but yeah, so We Never Learn has some really great arcs where the series is now is just at a very interesting place. And I'm going to be curious to see like where it'll go in terms of it continuing to explore these characters and the payoffs they that'll have for their arts and what will the series what note the series will end on in terms of how what place they are in terms of achieving their dreams and uh, pursuing their future goals like that's what i'm really looking forward to seeing i have no clue like how much longer the series might go on 
I think that we might be uh, heading towards an end game, but I don't think that it'll be necessarily anytime soon. But I am here for the ride, and because I, I am invested in these characters and want to see them happy. And the anime's not gonna get anywhere near the best stuff, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, they're gonna get. I have to get at least up to some point after where Azumi is introduced, because Azumi's in like key visuals and art and stuff. So, who knows? Uh, who knows how much the anime will cover? But we'll see. I just want to say real quick before we head into questions here soon that uh, I like we never learn enough, and I'm interested in. I'm interested enough in where the series is going that I think I am gonna read those next like what is it, like 40, 35 chapters that I still have or something? Uh, some number like that. But yeah, I'm to, just to answer Buggy's question from earlier. Yes, I, I, I do want to continue it. Whether I'll read it weekly or not, I I don't know. But I'm, I'm going to say I'm leaning towards yes, because I, I do agree that like, I probably like at this point, now that I'm hopefully gonna catch up here soon like i will probably enjoy it more in small doses personally speaking mm. um but uh i i guess overall do do like do we feel comfortable enough in recommending we never learn despite its flaws or definitely if you're not turned off by fan service i definitely recommend we never learn i think that it has some very compelling characters and uh, the character arcs are very emotionally cathartic if you've struggled in the same ways these characters have in terms of both their personal successes, in terms of academics and achieving their dreams, and also their relationships with other people, especially their families, and kind of their struggle to pursue their dreams while conforming to the expectations set upon them and, like, you know, fighting back against that. Yeah, I, I come down on it may not end up being for you, but please at least consider giving it a shot uh, because it is more than what it looks like on the surface. I I remember when it first started that I had seen people calling it Nisekoi 2.0. And I have to say, as someone who's read at least most of it, uh, it is definitely better than that. Um, I think I said on Twitter that uh, at this point, I think I actually prefer We Never Learn Over Nisekoi. <laughs> as far as like rom-coms go <laughs> it, it's funny as uh hoven and i as weekly manga recap fans know uh that's something the that chris famously stated uh at some point very early on in the series and then uh, a string of terrible kirisu chapters or like some very <laughs> un, uh, unfortunate kirisu chapters happen afterwards it's like oh my god is this karmic punishment for saying that but uh no i also i also think that because i am so invested in these characters like each equally but especially Especially because I'm invested in Uwega as well, that that already puts it above Nisekoi because I never was compelled by every character in Nisekoi. Like there are characters in Nisekoi like Haru or Yui that I mm. thought were superfluous. And Raku, again, did not have a very compelling character arc uh, outside of his relationships to the uh, main female characters. So uh in that even though i do think 
there is a lot to like about Nezuko, and I do like the final, like, 100 chapters of it. We Never Learned is definitely, uh, my, I definitely prefer it over Nezuko. I definitely think it is one of the strongest rom-coms, uh, in Jump's history, having read many of its, uh, more classic rom-coms as well. I just feel like the characters are all equally compelling, and there's, like, more going on in the series than you normally expect that makes it so enjoyable. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Enough of that. All right. After a long day of studying, it's, it's nice to come home, unwind, and talk to myself while a microphone is recording my voice. That, that sounds... That sounds like the perfect thing to do after a long two-hour study session. And uh, oh, wait, hold on. Uh, I'm 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 getting I'm getting a text from Lum. Uh huh. Yep, reading it right now. And apparently, our studying isn't done just yet because uh, in the next two weeks, he wants to meet up again and do it all over again. Boy, uh, the studying just never stops. Uh. So, yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed my bit. Uh, That was basically my way of telling you that, yes, we are going to get to your questions. Uh, We got a lot of them in. Um, We got over 20 questions uh, from you, the listener, from all sorts of different places on the Internet. Uh, We are going to answer them. Uh, Just not not necessarily on the next episode of the podcast, but uh, uh, that's going to have to wait until the episode after. Um, so it is coming, uh, but until then, uh, speaking of our next episode, uh, next episode is actually going to be, is actually going to be, uh, a news episode since, uh, we haven't really talked about news in what feels like forever. I'm sure it's only been like two or three weeks. I just haven't really bothered going back to check just yet. Um, because that's how organized I am. Um, but yeah, uh, not only are we covering news next episode, uh, but we're actually going to be talking about two new simulpubs that have started up on Manga Plus uh, in particular. So on the next episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about the first few chapters of Spy Family from Tatsuya Endo, as well as Heart Gear from Suyoshi Takaki. Uh, those have just started up a couple weeks back. And uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about those as well. Uh, I haven't read them just yet, so I'm really excited to check those out. Um, So yeah, that's what you can expect from the podcast uh, in the next week. Uh, And then the week after that, uh, we'll be answering your guys' questions about We Never Learn. So yeah, don't worry. Uh, Our study sessions aren't done just yet. We still have a lot of studying to do, and that studying involves over 20 questions, as I said earlier, from you, the listener. Um, So... Uh, that's definitely going to be a pretty long one. So if you felt like you didn't get enough We Never Learned from this episode, don't worry. You're going to get more of it. Um, so look forward to that. But, uh, you know, before we head out here in just a moment, uh, I just want to thank Buggy and Hoven for coming on the show and talking about We Never Learned with us. Uh, they didn't really get a chance to uh, to plug their stuff at the end of that recording, so... Uh, real quick, uh, you could find Buggy on Twitter at DaLadyBugMan. Uh, that's D-A-LadyBugMan. 
as well as go check out his blog and uh, the podcast that he hosts on that blog at deladybug.productions. Over there, you'll basically find all of Buggy's different blog posts about all sorts of topics. Uh, I haven't really read his stuff in a while, so I, I, I don't remember off the top of my head about all the different topics he's written about, but uh, he does have some interesting blog posts if you want to go check those out. Uh, that is also the home of both the Third Seat by the Window as well as Spiral Radio. Uh, I really like both those shows. So if you're looking for another good anime podcast, uh, definitely go listen to both of those, especially Spiral Radio. Uh, I really enjoy that one in particular, as I've talked about on the show before. Also, go follow Hoven on Twitter at Hoven with an H. That's his uh, Twitter handle. I believe he also has a YouTube channel. I don't think he has a URL for that, unfortunately. Uh, but I'm sure if you go on YouTube and search Hoven with an H, uh, you'll find his channel. So yeah, uh, definitely go follow Hoven as well. Again, special thanks to both of them for coming on. And yeah, um, I guess as for other podcast stuff, um, I should probably mention that uh, uh, Lum and I have been kind of talking behind the scenes, and uh, I think by the time the next episode comes out, uh, we'll probably have already closed our Patreon survey. We both kind of feel like we have gotten as many responses for that survey as we're going to get at this point. But uh, with that being said, we still appreciate everybody who's taken the survey so far. Um, but yeah, so uh, I don't necessarily know when the next episode's going to go out. I would say we'll probably, I mean, it's it's easy for me to say we'll, we'll have the survey closed by the time the next episode's out. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to assume that's probably going to be either Friday or Sunday. Uh, just, just, you know, the, uh, this next weekend in general, we're probably going to be closing down the survey. So, uh, by the time you're listening to this, uh, you should have at least a week, if not like, you know, like five, six more days to fill out that survey. If you haven't taken it yet, you know, let us know how you feel about us opening up a Patreon. Um, that is feedback that we could, uh, really use from you guys who are interested in, uh, supporting us, uh, through that in particular, um, I will leave a link for that survey in the show notes of this episode, but uh, like I said, after next episode, the survey will be closed, and uh, we'll basically be making a decision from there. So yeah, uh, one more week on that survey. And yeah, uh, I guess also just uh, go follow Lam Ramayasha where, wherever you can find him. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Lam Ramayasha, as well as Lam Ramayasha on sites such as uh, My Anime List, Annie List. You know, just w w wherever you can find a Lum Ramayasha, that's probably Lum. Uh, also, go read his reviews on all-comic.com. Uh, I know he uh, tries to uh, review whatever uh, anime movies he's he watches with V-Lord, as well as podcast about them on uh, At Movies. Um, I think they just put up a new At Movies, c concluding the Ghibli conspiracy arc, as I like to call it. Um, inter interesting episode. Uh, they recorded about House Moving Castle in particular, so uh, if you haven't listened to that yet, uh, please go do so. As for me, I'm Colty. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host a few other podcasts, such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, over at GintalifeLessons.wordpress.com. If you're a fan of Gintama in particular, go check it out. As well as One Podcast Prevails at OnePodcastPrevails.com. Uh, please go listen to that if you're a fan of Detective Conan slash Case Closed, whatever you call it. I record that with my friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast. Again, that's at OnePodcastPrevails.com. But as for Manga Mavericks and all comic, you'll want to go to all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode of Manga Mavericks first. 
Uh, you can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. Uh, but if you want to follow Mavericks specifically, you, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks, as well as mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga Mavericks, uh, where we post different excerpts of the podcast, such as uh, whatever news pieces we talk about, uh, whatever manga we review, uh, and even some exclusive content every once in a while. So please go follow us again. That's at youtube.com slash manga Mavericks. If you have any questions you want to email us, uh, you know, what do you think of We Never Learn? Uh, who do you think is best girl, quote unquote? You know, or maybe wh- wh- why do you hate We Never Learn? I don't know. Uh, you know, send send us an email about whatever manga you're reading or uh, about the podcast in general, and uh, we will read them on the show. Uh, send us those emails over at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever they call it now. That really helps the visibility of our show and just helps us grow in general. Um, so if you have the time, uh, we would really appreciate it if you did that. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to say. Um, but I think that's going to be about it for this episode. So yeah, this has been episode 83 of the podcast. And we will see you guys next time for episode 84. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.